The following story has been brought to you by storiestoinspire.org. Story. This is from the heart. But I want you to hear this well. In the 1950s, the situation in Yerushalayim, in Eretz Yisrael, although at that time, the persecution of the Holocaust was beginning somewhat to be something in the past, although something like that one can never forget. Oh no, we should never forget. However, in the 1950s, the Jews of Yerushalayim began somewhat to live again. There's one problem though. The famine, there was such a hunger at that time in Israel that there was nothing to eat. How so? To the extent, I just want to describe to you what a Shabbat table in Jerusalem in the 1950s looked like. Wine, they had barely a few drops. Chalot didn't exist. The bread was just a few crumbs of bread. On their table, there was simply vegetables and a little soup, meat, chicken, onik Shabbat. No, that, that just wasn't. There was such a hunger, such a scarcity of food. It was at that time that the people couldn't believe it when one day a guy comes into shul in Yerushalayim and he announces, he says, people, I'm making a siyum tomorrow night. And I'm telling you, there's going to be so much food. I want you to come and celebrate with me. I finished the Masechet. Come to my siyum. And I do tell you, there's going to be a lot of food. When the people heard this, they heard siyum, but they heard the food. They said, we're coming. It's amazing how they say when people heard and the word got out that there was food at the coming siyum. People came from all over Jerusalem in droves. Mothers carrying their children just to give them a meal. That's the situation. That's how bad it was. The rabbi, he comes in. He looks around. He invites everybody into his home. And there he turns around and he says, Come, take a look. They look at the table and they see that on the table there was every possible food that they once remembered existed. Food that they haven't seen in years. Oh, there was entrees and there were salads. There was cups of wine filled to the brim. Along with the chicken that was being brought out. And then after that, the meat. They just could not believe their eyes. A lavishing meal. People looked at the Messiah, the rabbi that was making the siyum, and they said, tell us, where did you get this food from? How did you afford this food? He said to the people, I spent my entire life saving up my pennies just for the siyum. The people looked at him and said, it looks like a Sheba Brachot. To us, this looks better than the weddings that we make for our daughters. What Mesechet did you finish? He looked at them and he said, I finished Mesechet Moed Katan. Moed Katan? The whole 18, 19 pages? And this is the siyum that you're making? On one of the smallest gemarot, smallest Mesechtot and Shas? And this is the lavishing siyum? Fit for a king. Something greater than a wedding. The people looked at him. They said, can you imagine if we finish Ketubot? What he would have made? This is for Moed Katan? He says, yes. Wait, let me make the seal. And I'm going to tell you the story behind 
the siyum. He went and he finished the Gemara, made the siyum, and they began to bring out the food and the people were blown away. And then he began to speak. And before he said a word, he looked around the room in silence. And suddenly the people saw that he started to pull up his sleeve and he showed on his arm there were the numbers. The numbers, those numbers that we all know of a concentration camp survivor. And he turns to the people and he says, I was in one of the worst concentration camps. And at that time there was a man there that everybody called him the Meshugana of the camp. The Meshuga, the Mejnun case. He was the crazy guy of the camp. Now, people thought due to the torture and the horrific, horrible things they went through that this guy lost his mind. And the reason is because this guy, he talked to himself day and night. Wherever he went, he talked to himself. Out in the fields, in hard labor, he's talking to the shovels, he's talking to the rocks, he's talking to himself. And wherever he went, day and night, constantly, consistently, he doesn't stop talking to himself. And he says, we all thought he was crazy. He lost his mind. He went off. He totally lost it. Until one night. He says, one night. He says, you know, in the barracks, in the concentration camp, they had bunk beds. A lower and an upper bed. He says, I slept in the lower bed. And this guy, the Mishuga, the crazy guy in the camp that wouldn't stop talking, he slept on the upper bed. And believe me, it wasn't easy. Because all night, like all day, he wouldn't stop talking to himself. Sometimes he kept me up all night. Till one night, one night, he leans down from his bed and he actually looks me right in the eye. And he says to me, you think I'm crazy? I know everybody in the camp thinks I'm crazy. You think I'm crazy? I'm not. Do you know what it is that I am saying to myself day and night? Everywhere I go, in this terrible place, I am reviewing the entire shas to myself. Gimara, Rashi, Tosafot. From the very beginning, going through shas, and I'm almost finished. I'm about to make a siyum in the heart of Gehenam. I'm about to be Messiah shas. I have one more Mesechet left. All I have now to finish is the Gemara Mesechet Mo'ed Katan. I don't think I'm going to make it. I'm asking you. You're going to live. I might not make it. If I don't make it out of here, promise me that you're going to finish the Siyum Hashas that I was almost about to make even in a concentration camp. Yeah, because these Nazis, you know, they can take my body, but they're not going to take my life. They can torture me, but my neshama, my Torah is going to live on that. They could never stop. My Torah, my Shas, is going to live on through you. Please, I have one Mesechet left. Can you finish the shas that I almost finished here in concentration camp? He says, I looked at him. He says, my jaw dropped. I, I couldn't believe it. 
I promised him I definitely will. And that night, the man passed away with his lips slowly coming to a halt, saying his last words. And almost the entire Shas went with him. But then I remembered my promise. And I did live to get out of the concentration camp. And we were liberated sometime after that. And I was lucky enough to come here to Eretz Israel. And I promised myself, as I promised him, I'm going to finish the Shas that he started. I'm going to finish that last Masechet. I'm going to give him the siyum of the entire Shas by finishing Moed Katan. He's going to live on through the Masechet that I just finished. When the people heard this, he looked at them and said, now you understand why the siyum. It's not just the siyum. It's a siyum hashas, but it's a siyum of a life that had so much to show for it. A Jew that lived an incredible, productive, and vibrant way. We could continue to live their lives and bring it and continue on. How important. The Mishnayot, it allows them to continue to live. How important we make classes in the memories of those that were deceased. Again, the Torah enables them and their teachings and what they stood for to live on. But more than anything, focus on their lives, their teachings and their lessons. Yaakov Avinu Lomet. You know why? Because look what he gave over to his children, to his family, and how they lived his life and continued it till today. We're continuing to live the legacy, the greatness of the Avot. They're alive in us. And so too, the greatness of every Jew. You can continue to have it live on in you. Enjoyed this story? Come again. Bring a friend. Stories to inspire.org.